I don't think there's anyone in this room today who doesn't have a question for God. When I, when I was growing up, and I've kind of been part of the Christian scene all of my life, um, you'd often have those get-togethers where people say, like, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And I got loads of questions. I think one of the questions that really bothered me as a teenager that someone said to me, like, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And I was like, I'd really love to know, is the Loch Ness Monster real? Like, inquiring minds want to know. I, I grew up, if you're old enough like me, to remember Arthur C. Clarke. Does anyone remember Arthur C. Clarke's mysterious world where he used to look into all this stuff? This stuff fascinated me. But, of course, there are much bigger, more important questions that we would ask. And, and actually, in preparing for this message, I, I went on to Google. And, uh, and I just put on Google, why God? Because, you know, if you start to put a sentence on Google, then what happens is Google starts to suggest, based on what other people have searched, maybe what you're looking for. And it was interesting to me that as, as I just put in those why God, like the top answers were why God allows suffering, why God created us. And I guess at a deeper level, this one, I read this one, I thought, wow, that's a powerful one, simply said this, why God, Why? Why God? Why? We all have questions of God, and, and we always want Zio to be a place where we can bring our questions and grapple with our questions together. But I want to flip it this morning and think, well, if God was here, and he is here today, and if he was going to ask you a question, what question do you think he would ask? Like, what does God want to know about you? And of course, if God is God, then he knows everything. And the reason that he would ask a question is not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants us to see if we know the answer to the question, if we know the truth. And, and most of the time, if we know the truth about ourselves. I don't know how many questions God asks in the Bible. I tried asking Google. I gave up on about the second or third page of scrolling. If you know the answer, you can tell me later. But, but this I do know. In the three years of Jesus' ministry 2,000 years ago, he was asked 183 questions. And frustratingly for those who asked him questions, he only actually directly answered three of those questions. Instead, he responded to most of those questions with questions. He was asked 183 questions, and throughout the gospel, Jesus asks 307 questions. Now, why is that? Again, it's not because Jesus doesn't know the answer. It's not like when someone asks him a question, Jesus was like, wow, I am God, but I never thought of that. And it's not because of that. It's not because Jesus was like some politician like who always evades the questions. The reason that Jesus asks so many questions is because he wants people to think, to think, to discover, to admit, and to change. One of the gospel writers, Matthew, tells us this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that the message of Jesus, when Jesus traveled around this, this place of Israel in the first century, his primary message was this, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Not someone next to you and say, you need to repent. Oh, some of us didn't want to do that, did we? We didn't. We thought, I've got nothing to repent of here today. This word repent is the Greek word metaneo, and it literally means to change your mind. It means to change your mind, 
to change your direction. So the message of Jesus was, repent for the kingdom of us here. What Jesus was essentially saying is, change your mind because God has come up close and personal. Change your mind. Change your direction. Be with him. But let's be honest. It is really, really difficult to change our minds. Like, like we don't like changing our minds because if we change our minds, then that has to imply that actually we were wrong about something. And none of us like to admit that we're wrong. And so it's tough to get people to change their mind. And so how do you get people to change their mind? You have to get them to think. And how do you get people to think? You ask them questions. You ask them questions. And so if Jesus asked 307 questions in three years, imagine how many thousands, and there are at least thousands of questions that God asks throughout the pages of the Old and New Testament. And the reason, friends, that God asks so many questions is because he's desperate for people to change their minds. He is desperate for people to invite him in, to be close to him. He's desperate to save people. He's desperate to lead people, to love people into the life that he created them for. And so this morning, in the time that remains, what I want to do, I want to look at the very first question that God asks in the biblical story. The very first question. And we're going to look at why did he ask it? What did it mean then? And what does it mean for us today? Because it's as relevant today as it was when he said it. So if you've got a Bible, open it up or turn it on. We're going to look in a minute at Genesis chapter 3. And if you don't know this early biblical story, these first few chapters in the very first uh, book of the Bible, Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2, we have this amazing creation poem that tells us the story of how God intentionally and wonderfully and beautifully and breathtakingly created everything. Now, just pause for a second. Let's not be distracted about, you know, was this literally six days or how does the order of events stack up with with science? That is not the point of Genesis 1 and 2 at all. Like, we're grateful for science that helps, helps us understand how things happened. But the purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 is not so much how, it's why. Why did God do it? I mean, the big picture of the how is that God did it, that you are not a cosmic accident. You were lovingly, intentionally brought into existence. And and, and that is the why of this story. The, The why is that we were created by God to know him, to live in relationship with him, and to receive from him the responsibility to take care of the whole of creation, to see the beauty and goodness that began in Eden to explode, to not be devoured, but to be developed to the very ends of the earth. That was our creation mandate. That is the setup of Genesis 1 and 2. And everything's good. In fact, God says it's really good. It's very good. It's a picture of what we've talked about in the past of God's shalom, God's well-being, flourishing, God's peace. And then in Genesis chapter 3, it all goes horribly wrong. And it goes very horribly wrong because evil personified, the Satan, rocks up into the garden and he draws alongside humanity. And guess what Satan does? He asks a question. Because if you want to change someone's mind, you've got to ask them a question. You've got to get them to think. And and so he comes alongside Adam and Eve, and and he basically says to them, like, did you hear God right? Like, Maybe you misheard. Did God really say what he said in terms of the the way to live your best life in relationship with him? And what Satan did all of those many, many years ago, which he still does today, by the way, is he's trying to 
ask a question that will make them think that God is not good. Because if you doubt that God is good, you'll dislike God. And if you dislike God, you'll disobey God. And if you disobey God, then your relationship with him is just destroyed. Doubt leads to dislike, which leads to disobedience, which leads to destruction of relationship. And that is the tragedy of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. They fall for the trick. They are deceived. They reject the God who lovingly created them and longs for intimacy with them. And they choose essentially, like everyone has done ever since, to be their own gods. To be their own leader, savior, rescuer. But ironically, rather than finding that the choice they make to reject God leads to better life, they find out that things go catastrophically bad for them. Now they are vulnerable and they're ashamed and they're naked and they're afraid. And what do they do in those opening verses of chapter 3? They hide. They hide. So pick up the story with me in verse 8 of Genesis 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. Then the Lord God called the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, I want you to notice three big doozy questions that if we had three hours, I'd spend the next three hours exploring today. The three questions I would suggest that God is still asking every moment of every day. But the big question we're going to look at today is, where are you? But the second question, which follows the where are you, is who told you? And then the third question is what have you done? Because the essence of those two, whilst I won't get them today, is is God was saying to Adam and Eve, who have you listened to? You've listened to the wrong voice. And because you've listened to the wrong voice, you've ended up doing the wrong thing. And because now you've done the wrong thing, here I am saying, where are you? You're lost. I don't have time to preach on, are you listening to the right voice today? But let me just see that with you. Are you listening to the right voices today? Because the wrong voices are going to lead you astray. Where are you? Do you know that God's asking you today, where are you? Where are you? And of course, as I said, he's, he's not asking the question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question to make you think to hopefully make you change your mind. And so we read this this beautiful opening thing in in verse 8, that that God comes to Adam and Eve in the cool of today. Isn't it ironic that we're all going back to work and then the heat wave happens this week? How annoying. But you know, my favorite part of the day is going to be about 5 or 6 o'clock tonight. It's going to be beautiful. We get that orange hue, you know, and, and you're sitting in your garden, you got a glass of, of water or of dad, you know, wine. And you're just, you're just, la- and you've got a gentle breeze. It's, it's a beautiful part of the day, isn't it, that end of the day? And so in the most beautiful part of the day, God wants to have a most beautiful moment with his people. And he comes, but, because that's what he do every day, because he longs for intimacy, he longs for closeness. But Adam and Eve have gone AWOL. They're nowhere to be seen. 
They used to cherish these moments. They used to long for these moments of being with him. But now they were nowhere to be seen. They're hiding. They're naked and ashamed. And God speaks and he says, where are you? Now, again, he knows exactly where they are. It's a question. It's it's not like an angry father. Where are you? It's not that. I, I want to suggest to you, it is loaded with compassion. It is loaded with sadness. Where are you? Where are you? It's a question that should provoke us today. Where are you? Because, because in truth, if we're not close to God, we're in the wrong place. And if we're hiding from God, then we're hiding from love. And we're hiding from life. And we're hiding from grace and comfort. We're hiding from everything we need because he's the true source of all things. Like I wonder if, if you were Adam and Eve hiding, how would you have answered the question in that moment? Let's have an honesty moment, okay? Can we be honest? Just look at the person next to you. Just say, be honest, be honest. Come on, be honest, okay? Like, have you ever had someone come to your door and you really didn't want to see anyone? So you kind of turn the lights off and you hide a bit and you're just waiting for them to go. Has anyone ever done that? No, me neither. Never, never done that. <laughs> never done that. Well, they could have done that, couldn't they? You know, like, Eve, just, just hide. Just, right. if, if you ignore him long enough, he'll go away. Friends, you can ignore God for the whole of your life. He's never going to go away. He will pursue you every moment of every day of your life, such as his love and heart for you. He is never going to go away. You can ignore him. You cannot escape him. Omnipresence has its drawbacks. He is with you all the time. But maybe some of us are trying to ignore God. Or or maybe someone has reframed that where are you question, and, and you're struggling. You're having a bad day, and someone says to you, like, how are you doing? And you know they love you. You know they actually mean it. You know they care. They, you know that they want to help you. But you do that thing that Christians are more guilty of than anyone at all. And you say, I'm fine. Which is your way of saying, here endeth the conversation. I'm fine. I've got this. Leave this with me. I can fix this myself. I don't need any help, thank you very much. I'll figure out my nakedness issue, my vulnerability issue. Adam and Eve could have done that. They don't do any of those things. They do start to get it wrong, but they got this right. They speak from behind the bush, and they admit that they are naked and vulnerable, and they don't want to come out. God, I'm ashamed. I'm vulnerable. I've messed up. I've screwed up. You told me to do one thing, and I did the very opposite thing. And I thought things would be better, and everything's got worse. Don't even even look at me. I'm so ashamed. Where are you this morning? if, If you're someone here, and you've not invited Jesus, who shows us what God is really like, lived, died on a cross for us, rose again that we could have life and be restored. If, if you're someone who Jesus is saying for the first time, where are you? How are you answering that? Maybe you're saying nothing. God, just, maybe you'll just go away. He's not going away, friends. 
Maybe, you, maybe you're saying to God, God, I, I've, I've got this. Like, I, I'm doing all right on my own. I'm living my best life. I've got this. Or maybe today for the first time you're willing to be honest and admit you haven't got this. You've not got your life together. You cannot be your perfect savior. You're not smart enough. You're not perfect enough. All of us are broken and messed up and fragile. And only the God who created us and loves us and can restore us and heal us and die for us and rose for us and will return for us and praise for us is the one who can bring life and healing to every part of our being. Maybe today is your day when you say, okay, save me. God's searching for you. Will you invite him in? But here's the thing. Most of us here would say that we are followers of Jesus today. We wouldn't put ourselves in this bracket. And, And Jesus is coming up to you today and he's saying, where are you? Where are you? How would we answer? Again, are we trying to hide and save ourselves, locked in our struggling? Or or are we going to respond because God wants us to come out, come close, and come home? Come home. Get our life back on track with Him. Like for these last few months, uh, it's been amazing what God's done. We haven't really planned this series of talks for in-person church, but it's amazing how God's knit it together. If you were here six weeks ago, the first time we were here, Amy spoke on this message, come out, come out wherever you are. Do you remember that? And it was a message where she was saying that basically whatever's going on in your world, even if you're going through a really tough time, God is still able to work in and through you if you're willing to step up and be used by him. I called it the week after God on the go, encountering God on the go, seeing God at work in our everyday lives. And then four weeks ago, just to sound like I was thoroughly contradicting my wife, I then preached a message that said, stay hidden, stay hidden, whatever you do. But that was all about saying, if our God on the go, if our public influence and impact for God's kingdom is really going to be fruitful, then actually the fruit of that is built in the root of intimacy and prayer with God, being hidden in God in the secret place, which I called God in the slow. And then two weeks ago, I spoke on the two habits that change everything, that the goal of our lives is to become like Jesus. And so the two habits we embrace are to draw close to Jesus and do what he says. That's it. Now, a couple of years ago, um, some of you have got this. I, I wrote this little book called Being With God. You have to see taking my glasses off. This is old age. The Zeo Guide to Being With God and Becoming More Like Jesus Every Day. And in this book... I talk about, and there's some free copies at the back if you've not got one, these two practices, what I call attentive practices and disruptive practices. So attentive practices are intentional things that we build into the rhythm of our everyday to attend to, to be attentive to God. So we pray and we we read some scripture and we apply it to our lives and we worship and we have moments of stillness and reflection. Attentive practices, and there are ideas in here about how you can do it. And so, when you wake up tomorrow morning, guess what the first question God's going to ask you when you get up tomorrow morning? He's going to say, Where are you? Where are you? And the reality is, for most of us, including me, because I find it very hard to slow down, as you can see, I can't even stand still. 
we find it really hard. And actually, our true response to that is, I'm busy, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm full, I've got loads and loads of things. And God is sitting in your favorite prayer chair space, and he's saying to you, I'm here, can we just hang out even for a few minutes? Let me love you, let me care for you, let me fill you, let me refresh you with my word, with worship, in the silence. Where are you? I just love to start my day with you. Attentive practices of drawing close to God. This week, we have these prayer moments, 7 a.m., 7 p.m. Now, I know some of you are morning people. Any of you like morning people, like you're up at 6 o'clock in the morning? Most of you are not like that. Praise God for you people. I'm not one of you. I, I set my alarm this morning for the next five mornings, 6.30. And when I did, something in my soul went, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. But I know that God is saying, come on, what is the sacrifice of prayer? God's not invited us into a cozy Christianity. Do you love God more than you hate Zoom? Someone's really upset with me right now, I can tell. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be on every one of those things. Of course not, we've got things going on. But, but can, you, can you make one of them? One at seven, one at seven in the morning, seven o'clock at night, you've got the Zoom, just one. Not because you have to. Like, don't do it because you have to. Don't do it because Pastor Matt said you've got to do it. Don't do it. Do it because you get to. Do it because you have an opportunity for 15 minutes. You might even have three minutes. You come on at 7.06 and you have to leave at 7.09. I don't care. Have an opportunity just to be with the people of God in the morning. And pray. And we're going to pray about different things. But the thing we're praying more than anything is we're praying more of you, God. We need more of you. We need more of you. We need more of you. We do. We need more of you. Attentive practices. God on the go. Can't stress how important that stuff is for every single one of us. Being with God. Can't stress how committed the enemy of your soul, Satan, is to stop you doing it. Attentive practices. And then as I start to finish disruptive practices and disruptive practices are those practices where you are when you say one of your prayers in the morning is this God whatever you're up to today count me in I give you permission to disrupt me to interrupt me in whatever I'm up to so I can join in with what you're doing God on the go let me let me let me tell you this story worship team do you guys want to come up and be poised and ready that'll be great some of you have heard this story. I, I want to just confession of a where are you moment that I messed up badly some years ago. I'd been speaking at a youth event in Brighton. And uh, it was about 10 o'clock and I was getting the train back. And uh, it was the train from Brighton and I was parked at Luton Airport Parkway. And if you know Luton well, you've got Luton Airport Parkway, which is the first station you come to if you're traveling north from Brighton. And then you have Luton Central. I was parked at Luton Airport Parkway. And uh, around Haywards Heath, I, I, I was working now, it's about half ten at night, I've got my laptop on my lap, and um, this guy comes in and he sits next to me, probably in his mid-thirties, um, smelt a little bit of alcohol, and, um, and so we started chatting, and he told me that he used to work for a pharmaceutical company, and, uh, but it had all gone wrong, he'd been a whistleblower, and then he got in trouble, and then he asked me, what do I do, what have I been doing, and I started to tell, well, I, you know, I work for this Christian charity, and I 
you know, introduced Jesus to young people, and his eyes lit up, and he said to me, wow, I had this amazing spiritual experience once, and I was like, oh, wow, tell me all about it, and, and, uh, and so he starts to tell me about when he had this terrible car accident, and, um, and he was thrown out of the car, and um, he ended up by a tree, but the problem was, because he was a little bit drunk, not crazy drunk, a little bit drunk, I don't know if you've ever spoken to a drunk person, I know no one here has ever been drunk, but, I, but you know, if you've ever spoken to a drunk person, the problem is they repeat themselves, don't they, sometimes? Sometimes. They repeat themselves. And so we're on this journey, and we're getting closer and closer to Luton Airport Parkway, and this guy keeps repeating itself. He keeps going back to parts of the story. And I suddenly, and he told me he was going to Bedford, and I suddenly had this horrible sense that God was saying to me, go to Bedford with this guy. And I was just like, I am not going to Bedford with this guy. I'm Luton Airport Parkway. Get him to finish the story at Luton Airport Parkway. It's, it's possible for him to do that. Anyway, it wasn't possible for him to do that. We get to Luton Airport Parkway. The doors open. I looked at him. I said, look, my friend, I really should get off here. But what I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, so you can finish your story, I'm going to get off at Luton Central, and then I'll get on the train, then I'll come back so you can finish your story. He went, thanks, thanks, thanks. And then he started the story again. <laughs> and so, and he's crying. Friends, he's crying as he tells this story. And I get to Luton Central, and I look at him, and he's crying. And I said, friend, I'm sorry. I've got to go. I've got to go. But here's my card. Call me. I will meet with you. I will take you for dinner. I will spend time with you. Call me. Call me. Please call me. And I got off the train, and I looked at him through the mirror as he cried, and he looked devastated that I'd left him. And the doors closed. I was the only one on the station. It was about quarter to midnight. Train heads off into the distance. And I asked God, God, where are you? And I felt the whisper of heaven in my thoughts and said, Matt, I'm on a train to Bedford. Where are you? Where are you? You're in Sainsbury's and there's a, there's a woman who's crying. She's struggling with her kids. And the father is saying, where, where are you? I'm comforting this woman right now. Would you come? Would you, could, could you just lay down your agenda and just join in with what I'm doing? Where are you? Where are you? What's God saying? I, I, there's such a simplicity of these messages over these months that God's been speaking to us. Stay hidden, stay hidden, whatever you do. Encountering God in the slow, attentive practices of being with him every day. Come out, come out wherever you are. Encountering God on the go, disruptive practices to join in with what God is doing. God says to each and every one of us, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, come on, where are you? To heal, to direct, to lead, to guide, we need it. Should we stand together? Should we stand? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Just for a moment, just before we sing this song, just want to encourage you, if you feel able to close your eyes, and as, as God whispers to you today, where are you? Just be real. Just be honest. And trust that he'll meet you there. You know, the, the amazing story in this Genesis thing is even though they messed up, God clothed them. He took care of them. 
just like he wants to take care of you. Where are you?